A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheißbare Brüder in America. So tauten Schabes at the guitar. Out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. We're here with another episode. This is Yehuda Geberer, and... We're here in our ongoing series. This is the third part of the series called The Zionists and the Rabbis. And i got to say that the first two parts were, were pretty easy. Um, the first part was a lot of background, a lot of the process, the overall big picture. The second part was the lead-up, the first Aliyahs of the Tamid Baal Shem Tov, Tamid Yagoyin, and then the Chibas Tziyayin, or Chayvevei Tziyayin movement. And now things get complicated. Now this is the real stuff, when political Zionism begins. And we'll take it in this episode from political Zionism, the founding of political Zionism at the end of the 19th century, and we'll try to get all the way to the war if we have enough time. And that's where things get really um, confusing. Um, There's a lot going on. This is really when the Zionist movement uh, builds itself up, and therefore the positions of all the rabbis across Europe and across the spectrum, pro, against, neutral, um, etc., really, really have to be put in order and Hopefully I myself won't get too confused. And, um, and of course, um, this, this is, is influenced by world events of the time. World War I and the Russian Revolution, which uh, changes everything for Soviet Jewry. The, at the same time as the Rev- Russian Revolution is also the Balfour Declaration, in which the British Empire uh, makes this interesting promise to create a national home in Palestine, so it seems to be a victory for the Zionist movement, so what's going to be the response of the rabbis um, at that point? And then the interwar period, uh, um, which is a very, very uh, dynamic period in Jewish history, especially in Poland and Eastern Europe, where there's a lot going on, and what are the reactions then? It's the age of politics, it's the age of political movements, 
mass movements and everyone belongs to some sort of political movement. So we'll try to examine it and get all the way up to the war. And then the next episodes will discuss the war, the founding of the state, and so on and so forth. So let's try to get it from there. So political Zionism is founded at the end of the 19th century, very famously attributed to Theodore Herzl as a result of the of the Dreyfus trial, um, which, again, this is not a history of the Zionist movement. This is a history of the rabbinical positions vis-a-vis the Zionist movement and ultimately the state of Israel. So it's uh, hard to... to to uh, to uh, digress and go and speak about the history and the development of the Zionist movement, but a little bit of context is required. So he calls Herzl calls a a congress in Basel in Switzerland, and the Zionist Congress creates the movement, and the movement spreads. And there's different voices within the movement. And now the rabbinical positions in regards to this movement start to develop in an official stance because now it's an official movement. And the major, there's voices here and there, but what I want to focus on, (coughs) excuse me, is the first major voice that is expressed is in support of the Zionist movement, and that is the founding of the Mizrahi, uh, mainly by Rabbi Yitzchak Yaakov Rhinus, one of the G'dayle Hadar of that time, one of the great rabbis. He was the, he was the leader of, the rabbi and leader. My tours to Belarus in, in Eastern Europe. Um, we always pass through Lida because it's a, ma- it's a major city in Belarus standards. It's all relative and re- basically it means that it has a train station. That's all it takes to be a major city in that part of the world. And uh, it's a large town in any case. It's not far from Radin and it's not far from Navarduk, from other cities and famous places in the, neighbor- in the area. And he, has a, he eventually founds a yeshiva there. And he is a Valazhaner Talmud, a Talmud of the Nitziv, and he starts the Mizrahi, which is some sort of acronym for Merkaz Ruchani, a spiritual center, meaning Eretz Yisrael is the spiritual center. And he actually founds the Mizrahi as a protest against the mainstream Zionist movement. And he wants to make a separate program of the Mizrahi. And there's other Abanim that join with him. And from Yaakov Hakoyen, who is the son of the Cheshek Shloyma, Dayan and the Vilna Bezdin, the other Dayan and the Vilna Bezdin, the Marcheshes eventually joined. Um, other Abonim is the famous historian Rebzev Yaivitz, Ruven Katz, who is a big Slabatka, Talmud Slutsker, and eventually the Rav and Petach Tikva. He signs a Kol Koyre eventually in support of the Mizrahi. Uh, people joined at different levels of joining. Rameir Barilan, the son of the Nitziv himself, Rameir Berlin, eventually changed his name to Barilan, is not only joins, but becomes one of the leaders of the Mizrahi eventually. Um, the Rebutelay Fishman, Rebutelay Fishman, who eventually changed his name to Maimon, is one of the founding Rabbanim of the Mizrahi and the longest lasting in a very long life. He lived in Eretz Yisrael for many years. He was the head of the Mizrahi in Eretz Yisrael, very famous Rav Knesset member, 
leader, writer, researcher, a very multi-talented individual. And he, he started also uh, the famous publishing house Mossad Harav Cook, which publishes many important svarim till today. And all these people were involved, these mainly Litvish Rabbanim was known, known from other countries really at that point. It spread to other places in Galicia and Poland. At a later at later stages, Rebitzchak Nissenbaum actually was a Litvisher Rav, also Valajanar Talmud of Vinitsev. He brought it to mainstream Poland. He was a the head of the Mizrahi in Warsaw. He was a Rav in Warsaw, he had a yeshiva, and he was killed by the Nazis in Treblinka. He was in the Warsaw ghetto. That was Rebitzchak Nissenbaum, also a famous uh, Rav in Poland in the interwar period. In any event, the, the purpose of the founding of the Mizrahi, I'm not, again, I'm not going to the history of the Mizrahi itself as a movement, which is really a whole story in itself, but just the position of their Rabbanim was the Herzl creates the Zionist movement and really his vision, he's an assimilated Jew from Western Europe. He's from Austria, born in Budapest, and he has no real connection to the Jewish masses of Eastern Europe. He calls them my great army of schnurrers. He's referring to the mainly secular Jews who joined the Zionist movement. And he really doesn't understand them. He's A, a visionary, B, an organizer, and C, a very, very good diplomat as far as the world powers are concerned. He knows how to meet with the Kaiser, with the British government, with the Austro-Hungarian Empire's government, with the Pope, He's able to deal with the world. The leaders of the Zionist movement who came from Eastern Europe, they see the Jewish people in the masses, in the Russian Empire, and, 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 and how they live, and, and, how, and how they would like to see them develop. And there, there exists a disagreement early on in the Zionist movement about what's the primary goal. And Herzl's goal is to create a state as soon as possible, to begin diplomatic measures with the world governments to try to get them to convince them to support the Zionist ideal. It's the age of imperialism. They're going to create a colony somewhere, hopefully in, in Palestine if it works out. If not, then somewhere else will take it. And that's the Uganda plan that um, comes up at the Sixth Zionist Congress. And um, and that's, that's Herzl and his his people, Max Nordau, and other Zionist leaders' vision. The Eastern European Zionists, especially people like um, Achad Ha'am, Asher Ginsberg, who led the attack on Herzl, and others, Menachem Usishkin, others are going to get into all the leaders of the Zionist movement at this point. They want to focus on developing the Jewish people as a national entity. They said, first, the Jewish people has to mature. We have to shake off the shackles of the exile of Gullus, all the mistakes and all the baggage and all the, 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 uh, the non-nationality things and baggage that the Jewish people took along and gathered along in their long and bitter exile. We have to be, be born again. We have to rebuild ourselves and we have to create Jewish culture and we have to create Hebrew culture and we have to have Hebrew education. We have to educate the people in nationalism, in their in their connect them to 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 national values, and only then, after that whole process, will we be mature enough 
and ready enough to be able to create a country. But politics and diplomacy with the empires of the world is not, we're, we're, we're too immature. We're not ready for that yet. That was their claim. Now, as soon as that became the, and they outvoted Herzl, they were the majority, the Eastern European uh, delegates were definitely the majority. Um, and once that became the issue, once Jewish education became a goal and tarbut culture became a goal, then that was going to be secularism, that was going to be anti-religion, and that was a threat to religious values. And Rav Reines, who was part of the, the Zionist movement at this point, saw that as a danger. And he actually saw Herzl's side as much more positive and less of a danger. Let them engage in diplomacy with the empires. We're going to see Eretz Yisrael as our center because of Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael. And that's great. So he actually supported more Herzl's position against the Eastern European secular Zionists. And that's why he founded the Mizrahi, was in protest against what was going on inside the Zionist movement at the time, against the movement towards secularism and secular Jewish education and nationalism in that direction. And, and, and he, he discussed it with Herzl personally, and he actually supported Herzl in the Uganda proposal. So again, we have to think about Rav Reines's position. At this point, the Mizrahi is not the movement of Messianic uh, Zionism that it later became, especially with the vision of Rav Kook, which hopefully we'll get to soon as well. Rav Reines is, much, is a practical person. He doesn't talk about Messianism. He doesn't talk about the beginnings of the Geula, the Eschalt of the Geula. He talks about a practical consideration. Eretz Yisrael has always been the center of our hopes. Now we may have an opportunity to move back. Not only that, but we have a really rough situation on the Russian Empire. Anyone who's immigrating is immigrating to America. There everyone's assimilating, not keeping Shabbos. Anyone who's staying is suffering under the Russian czars. It's a terrible situation. There's pogroms. The economic situation for the Jews was catastrophic. It was literally almost becoming impossible to live under the czars. So we need practical solutions. And if nationalism is a solution, then great, let's go for nationalism. If Eretz Yisrael is a solution, then great, let's go for Eretz Yisrael. And that's one of the reasons he supports the Uganda plan. He sees it as a temporary measure. Let's get out of here. Let's get away from the czars. Let's save the Jewish people physically, spiritually, emotionally. It's a traumatic situation to stay in Russia. So first, let's get out. Let's form a country. We'll get together. Things will calm down. And then hopefully we'll get to Eretz Yisrael too, eventually as well. So even though it seems surprising at the time that a great religious leader who sees Eretz Yisrael for what it really is would support the Uganda proposal, but it actually makes sense if we understand the circumstances at that time. And that has major rabbinic backing. Like, it was, like I said, it was founded by Rabbanim, but right away it faced major opposition within rabbinical circles. Rabbanim opposed it for all kinds of reasons. The two main reasons were that you are part of a movement that is secular, and therefore you're showing support for the secularists. You are going along with the secularist program. The secular Zionists are not only planning on creating a secular state, which a secular state, not according to halacha, 
They want to create a secular state in the holy land of Eretz Yisrael, in the palace of Hashem. That, but even before they create the state, you're supporting the secular Zionist movement and what their program is for the Jewish people still in the exile before there's a state to reform Jewish education, to create Hebrew culture. How could you sit in the same movement and go to the Zionist congresses and vote with them and, and, and go along with their whole program? You're, you're, it's a chil Hashem, it's terrible. How can you go and support them? That was one claim, a very practical claim. The other one was more theological, more religious in nature, and that was you're not, fundamentally it is forbidden to go along with a program of nationalism, of creating a state, because that is going against the three shvuas, that is forcing the kates, that is forcing the geula, which is not permitted to do. We have to wait patiently in the exile for the Mashiach to come. And like I mentioned in earlier episodes, that it was already articulated by Rav Shamshin Hirsch, the Rashab of Chabad, other G'dayli Yisrael spoke, spoke about it. Eventually it would be the clarion call of the Minchas Elazar of Munkach, who became the most uh, um, vocal opponent, vociferous, vociferous, for sure pronouncing this wrong, someone will for sure correct me, uh, opponent of political Zionism and the Zionist movement in the next generation before the war, in the interwar period, and that was eventually taken up most famously by the Satmarov in the post-war era. So, so that, that, that's the second claim. And that, that claim is across the spectrum. And it's essentially because of this claim, because the Mizrahi were so organized and already had this movement, that eventually those who were opposed to Zionism and those who were opposed to all the secularist-oriented movements, not only Zionism, socialism, communism, the Bund, all the the threats of modernity, not only within the Jewish people, but from without also, many great leaders decided to close ranks and found the Agudis Yisrael. So it wasn't exactly a movement, Agudis Yisrael wasn't exactly a movement to go against Zionism, but it was a, it was a movement that, that, that saw the dangers facing traditional Jewry in the beginning of the 20th century, and of modernity, of changing times, of revolutionary times, of all the isms and movements that were going on, especially in the Russian Empire, but across Europe also. The initiative actually came from uh, Jews in Germany, the Yeki Balabatim Jews in Germany. In fact, the famous founder of, of, uh, of the Aguda was named as, uh, was Yaakov Rosenheim, and uh, another lesser founder, but he was definitely very, very involved, a very prominent individual named Wolf Pappenheim. And the Minchas Elazar of Munkach used to quip with his very heavy Hungarian accent, he would, in his anti agudis Yisrael stance, he would say, Haim v'haim layudi deruchay. Both Haims, they don't know Hashem's ways. That was his claim. In any event, the, the um, agudis Yisrael is founded, and one of their main uh, points of opposition is against Zionism and the Zionist platform. And they don't have a clear and particular program in the beginning. Um, the problem that always plagued the Agudah was that there was great diversity within the Agudah. 
which 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 what they took pride in. They took pride in that they had a vast spectrum of rabbinical support for the Agudas Yisrael, and um, ultimately, they this rabbinical support was supposed to form a governing body called the Ma'etzes Gedolei Hatoira, and they were supposed to vote on point issues that, that that came up. Now within behind closed doors, there were many different opinions. Uh, it wasn't one opinion. But one opinion in the Mayatzis only became a post-war phenomenon in the 1970s in Eretz Yisrael, which is a story in itself. But uh, the, 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 um, in the pre-war Mayatzis, there was great diversity within the Mayatzis, and within Agudas Yisrael, there was a wide variety of people. Um, one of the founders of Agudas Yisrael was Reb Shloyma Breuer. Um, like I said, it came from Frankfurt, it came from Balabatim in Germany, and the Rav in Frankfurt, the son-in-law of Reb Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, was Reb Shleimah Breuer, and, uh, or Rabbi Dr. Solomon Breuer, and Tyram Derech Heretz, a very different worldview than Eastern Europe, but on, that, on one hand, he's different than the rabbis there, and on the other hand, he's very extreme in his anti-Zionism, because he follows his father-in-law's approach. On the other hand, you have the Ger Rebbe, the Imre Emes, who's the leader, the practical, the de facto leader of Agudas Yisrael in the interwar period. And he is, um, has, he's, in certain ways, he's more conservative. He's a Hasidic Rebbe in Poland. But in other ways, he's more moderate in his position, in his opposition to Zionism. He's definitely opposed to Zionism. He takes the mainstream Agudas Yisrael approach, but he supports. Aliyah, he encourages Hasidim in Poland in the interwar period to move to Eretz Yisrael. He tried to serve as a bridge between the um, the, the the unfortunate machlekes between Reb Chaim Zonnefeld and Rav Kook. Reb 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 tried to be the moderator. He made five visits to Eretz Yisrael in the interwar period before he ultimately settled there when he was escaping the Nazis in 1940 from Warsaw, but before that the Ger Rebbe made five visits to Eretz Yisrael. And there was this bitter, ongoing uh, dispute um, in regards to Zionism and the relationship to the Zionist program in Eretz Yisrael between the two great rabbis in Yerushalayim, Rav Chaim Zonnefeld and Rav Avramitzchak Akayin Kuk, which is the two main, when people think of rabbis and Zionists, and the rabbinical positions taken for and against, the first two names that pop into anyone's mind is Rav Kook and Rav Chaim Zonnefeld. And they're the two main players in Eretz Yisrael. They're not the two main players on the Jewish scene because the Jewish scene is still in Europe. And, uh, and that's where the scene is mostly being played. That's where the Zionist Congresses are. That's where the mo- main Jewish communities are. But in an ideological sense, the, the battle lines are drawn in Yerushalayim between those two great leaders, Rav Kook being associated with the Mizrahi and his support for Zionism, and Rav Chaim Zonnefeld being associated with the major opposition, the extreme opposition to Zionism. And the Gareba, on a couple of his visits, tried to moderate between the two because he somewhat straddled both sides, not that he was a Zionist, but he was more moderate in his, anti, his opposition than Rav Chaim Zonnefeld, which organization that Rav Chaim Zonnefeld associate with himself with until he died, Agudas Yisrael. Right? So you have this major opponent of Zionism uh, um, in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Chaim Zonnefeld, who's part of the Aguda, 
Rabbi Yosef Tzvi Dushinsky in Hungary, who eventually became becomes the leader of the Eida Haredes in Yerushalayim, is in the Agoda. And then you have the Polish Hasidic Rebbes who are opposed to Zionism, but only moderately opposed, such as the Ger Rebbe, like I mentioned, such as the Sokolova Rebbe, Ritzak Zelig Morgenstern, others, the Biana Rebbe, um, Ramayshin Friedman, Krakow, the Chartkova Rebbe, uh, who is one of the heads of Agudas Yisrael. And it's interesting, within the Rizhiner Hasidus, it's a fascinating story in itself. Within Rizhiner Hasidus, Rizhiner, Yisrael of Rizhiner, who was a tremendous Oyhever at Yisrael, before Zionism was invented, right? He dies in 1850, way before anything happens, way before there's even a Chibas Tzion movement, way before anything. But he has Rizhiner Hasidim living in Eretz Yisrael, the famous Teferis Yisrael shul in the old city, which is now in the process of being rebuilt. When I go bring groups on tours of the old city, we go to the sort of recently rebuilt Churvashul. Anything that I remember it being built, I still call it recent because I still consider myself young. So, so then we go to the Churvashul, and then we go to the construction site where the Teferis Yisrael shul is going to be built. Uh, which is the Hasidic Shul. The Chorva Shul belonged to the Talmidei Hagra, and the Teres Yisrael was the Hasidic Shul, and was named after Yisrael of Rizhin. It was also called the Nissen Bek Shul, who was the Rizhiner Hasid, who, uh, who built it on, he actually bought the property on the Rizhiner's instruction. In any event, so his descendants, which becomes this massive Hasidic empire, starting in the Ukraine, eventually moving to Galicia and Romania, they um, are all the Hasiduses of, of Chartkev, Biyan, um, uh, Stefanesh, Tusiatin, Bohush. Uh, 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 of course, I'm missing like six others that have just slipped my mind. And <laughs> Sadiger, of course, one of the main ones. And there's others. Um, they, 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 uh, they become one of the most supportive of the Zionist movements within the Hasidic world. The, the, they split. The Galicianer Rizhiners, they join the Agoda, and they become leaders in the Agoda, Yisrael. The Sadiger, the Bayan, and the Chartkov, especially the Chartkov Rebbe, they become, he becomes the main leader in Agoda, Yisrael, in Galicia. A lot of the Galicia Rebbes were opposed to Agoda, Yisrael, which I'll get to in a second, the Kedushas Tzien of Babov, as well as most of the grandchildren of the Divrei Chaim of Tzans, and the, 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 they, they were opposed to Agodis Yisrael, and um, in, an, in a less extreme way than others, the Hungarian Hasidus were a little more extreme than the Chasalazar Munkach, Satmer, the Enoch of the Yismach Moshe in Il, and uh, we'll get to that shortly. But in Rizhin, there's this split within Rizhin, the right flank of the Rizhiners, like I said, Sadiger, Bayan, and especially Chartkov, joined the Agudas Yisrael, become leaders in Agudas Yisrael. One of the heads of the Agudas Yisrael before the war, like I said, was the Chartkover, and Ramayshin Yufridman of Krakow, the Bayana Rebbe, the son-in-law of the Chernovitz of Bayana Rebbe, right? The Pacharyetzak of Bayan, who died in 1917 in Vienna, had four sons, all of four of whom became Rebbes, one of Eventually moved to New York, um, and, uh, and one was in Leipzig, who was buried in moved to Israel, buried in in, in Svas, and another one was in Chernovitz, and another one was in Lvov, Lemberg. So the one from Chernovitz, his son-in-law was 
was uh, Ramayshin Yafridman, who was in Krakow. He's on the Mayasis Gedele HaTayr of Agudis Yisrael before the wars, one of the leaders in the Aguda. And the and they're, they're the right flank of Rishon, but they're the left flank of the Aguda. They're, they're not really that opposed to Zionism. They understand the dangers, and, um, and they definitely don't support the Mizrahi platform, but they feel like that there's no major reason to have op- that much opposition. We can work with them. And the best example of that is the chart covers a dear and famous chassid, Rameir Shapiro. He's a Chartkever chassid, very close with his rabbi, the Chartkever, and he serves the Agudis Yisrael in the Polish parliament in the interwar period, and he's pretty much a Zionist. He's very supportive of, of the enterprise in Eretz Yisrael, and he, you know, he had a very nice correspondence with Rav Cook, as did many other rabbis at the time, and he... Um, uh, he very supportive in many ways of the whole of the whole situation of going to Eretz Yisrael and and uh, and creating uh, the dream of creating a state. Of course, he didn't live to see it, so we don't know what he would have held. If if uh, we can only speculate, but there's definitely a lot in his writings and in his speeches and in his sayings that would seem to support it. And um, and he he. Um, He's and he's a chart cover. He's he's part of that uh, part of that world, and he's a member of the Agudis Yisrael. Not only that, but he in in one of the elections, the Aguda ran runs in the elections along with the Zionist parties. And a very controversial move, but in order to gain more widespread support, they make a, a an agreement with the secular Zionist parties that they're going to run together on the same ticket, which shocked a lot of the. Uh, opponents of Agudis Yisrael, and they use this as a proof that Agudis Yisrael wasn't as anti-Zionist as they claimed to be, and therefore it's good that they are opposed to it. And uh, not only that, but Romer Shapiro was asked by the Bund, the Jewish irreligious, anti-religious, socialist party in Poland, he was asked why the Agudis Yisrael is allowed to go with the secular Zionists. He said, "You, you, you refuse to run with us? You refuse to run with the Bund. How can you allow yourself to go with the secular Zionists? And Romero Shapiro, who always had great lines and was a fantastic sense of humor and uh, never had a shortage of them, and now he has an opportunity to answer the Bund and to show that he's still opposed to Zionism, even though he's running with them on the same ticket. He still is an Agudist who's officially opposed to Zionism. He tells them that there's a Mishnah in Kiddushim Kiddushin, the fourth parak of Kiddushin, Asara Yuchsin Alumi Bavel Eretz Yisrael. There was ten types of Yichus that went with Ezra from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael. And then the Mishnah goes on to enumerate the ten Yuchsin. And it goes on, Kaihanim, Levim, Yisraelim. And one of the ones that it mentions is Mamzerim. And Ramir Shapiro asks the Bund, how can the Mishnah say that the Mamzerim are Yuchsin? They're one of the ten Yuchsin. Yuchsin means they have Yichus. And a Mamzer is the antithesis of Yichus. It's a un- it comes from a union that is not Yichus, that has no Yichus. So why are they calling Mamzerim Yichus? And he says, I'll tell you why. Because someone who wants to come from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, even if he's a Mamzer, that alone makes him Meyuchus, that he wants to come to Eretz Yisrael. His heart is in the right place. So even if he's a mamzer, he's okay. So I'm allowed to go with them. 
But you guys don't even want that. You guys don't even want Eretz Yisrael. That's what he says to the Bund. And that was his sharp retort. So that was Romero Shapiro. And that's, that's, that's part of Rizhin. However, what's even more surprising and less talked about today is that the other division of Rizhin, the ones who are not in Galicia, they're in Romania, uh, Husiatin, Stefanest, Bohush, other smaller ones, they actively joined the Zionist movement. And some of the Rebbes were part of the Mizrahi. And the local Mizrahi headquarters was in the Stefanesters' base medrash, not in the base medrash, in one of the side rooms of the base medrash, right? It was, it was there. It was in, in, in his house. There was a picture of Herzl hanging in one of the offices. And the Husyat and the Rebbe, when he lived in Tel Aviv, he, he, he got the Hatzofeh, the Mizrahi paper, delivered to his door every day. And someone recently showed me an article where it says, describes the Husyat and the Rebbe, who was one of the greatest tzaddikim living in Eretz Yisrael at the time, and it's famous, people went to him for brachas and for all kinds of yeshiyas, and he was a, no one disputed his being a leader and a tzaddik and a great Hasidic Rebbe, a great, great grandchild of Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhi, and yet he was part of the Mizrahi, he was a Zionist. They were outright Zionists. There's those those uh, Hasidic, that whole dynasty, I mean, it's a whole area of Romania, it's a whole area of the Rizhin legacy that somewhat disappeared. I mean, the Stefaneshta didn't have kids, and that's why um, the Hasidus kind of dried up. Um, Husiatin, a little more of a question where it went, where it disappeared to. The Bohusher is not a question at all. They completely changed direction. The Bohusher Rebbe of today is a very anti-Zionist. He took up the Satmar position, but originally Bohush was on that side of the Rizhin uh, uh, um, um, ideology as well. And um, it's interesting that, 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 that there's a whole group of Hasidic Rebbes who were actively Zionist. The only thing that really remained of it till recently was the Pashkana Rebbe, who was a fascinating personality, he died a couple of years ago, um, who was a Rizhin or Enikel, and he, he was a Mizrahi Rebbe, right, underneath his Rizhin or interesting-looking Shrimal, like the Rizhin or Rebbe's uh, wear, there was a, a Kippas Ruga. He was a Mizrahi Rebbe. He had a doctorate. He was a fascinating person. His wife was the daughter of the Merchaim of Vizhnitz, and, uh, and she died just recently, actually, which is a story in itself. So here you have a group of Rabbanim, very prestigious Rabbanim. In Romania, they're the mainstream Hasidus, and they support the Zionist enterprise. Whereas in Galicia, we said some of the original Rebbe's were part of the Aguda, even though they took the more moderate position within the Aguda, and then some uh, Galiziana Rebbes were greatly opposed to Zionism in an extreme way. Um, the two famous ones were Babav, which represents all the Tzanzer uh, um, uh, uh, Rebbes in a certain way. The Gdusha Sina of Babav was a great leader, and he he was looked at in the, in Galicia as almost like a king, as as, as one of the greatest leaders in Galicia. And, and it was most, most of the grandchildren of the Divrei Chaim of Tzans, who, who in general the Divrei Chaim was an extremist and a bit of a machmir in his positions. And the Tzans' legacy was definitely um, um, one of more extremism. And there's a lot to say about that as well. And the Kedusha scene of Babav did not join the Agudas Yisrael. He was opposed to it. And he was opposed, very much opposed to the whole Zionist program. And the, one of the reasons he didn't join the Aguda definitely had several reasons, 
um, was because he felt that they were not enough opposed to Zionism. They were, felt that they would perhaps uh, be in agreement with them or work with them for certain things. But he didn't come close to the opposition that the Belzer Rebbe had. The most, uh, the biggest extremist Hasidic sect in pre-war Europe, perhaps even more than Munkach or Satmar, was Bells. And ironically, because today they don't seem like that. And uh, the the Rebbe Rabbi Sacher Doiv was a big kanoi, a big extremist, uh, especially in, in vocal in his anti-Zionism and his anti-the Aguda. He actually had a political organization that he inherited from his father. That was the original uh, religious political organization, the Machziki Hadas, the first Jewish, uh, excuse me, religious political organization was the Machziki Hadas from Belz, or Shimon Seifer, the Chassam Seifer, son of Krakow. Rav Krakow was involved in that also. It's another story, but um, he did not join the Agoda either. And the opposition in 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 Hungary was a, was 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 pretty extreme also. Besides, for there there were Hungarian rabbanim who did support it, notably in in Pressburg, um, there was there was support for it from the Talmidei and Talmidei Talmidim of the Chassam Seifer, and also um, students, already the third generation of students of the Chassam Seifer. Um, they, they many of them did support it, which, which we'll get to soon. I want to get back further north before I go south. If we move up from Galicia to the other parts of the Agudis Yisrael, in Poland, the mainstream uh, rabbis and rebbes joined the Agudis Yisrael, led by, of course, the Ger Rebbe, and th- their position was officially, like I said, opposed to Zionism. However, the, the Ger Rebbe, the Sokolova Rebbe, most of the Pshischakotsk legacy uh, rebbes, uh, that whole grouping, they were not as opposed to Zionism as much as A would be believed today, and um, and also as much as was going on in Galicia or Hungary. They definitely, many of them supported um, Aliyah, they supported a more moderate position um, we oppose the secularism of the Zionists. They did not seem to have a major issue with the with the with the theological aspect, the dchikas haketz aspect of it. Um, definitely in their writings and in their sayings, it doesn't seem to be a major issue. They had reservations about the secular direction which it was taking, and they they said, "Let's support movement Eretz Yisrael. Let's support building yeshivas and Hasidus in Eretz Yisrael." And that will offset what the pioneers are doing in the kibbutzim to the secularization of Eretz Yisrael. We do our part to build it. And so much so that certain uh, groups of Polish rebbes were, were, took it a step further and actively supported Aliyah, actively supported what seemingly was the pioneering spirit of the chalutzim, of the pioneers, to move to Eretz Yisrael and settle there. Kfar Hasidim next to Haifa was founded by Polish Hasidim. B'nai Brak was founded by Polish Hasidim, led by a Skernovich Hasid, who almost no one ever heard of, but Skernovich was a major Hasidus in Poland. It's near Warsaw, Skernovich, and the thousands of Hasidim before the war. These Many of these Polish Hasiduses today are completely unknown because the Nazis completely decimated those areas. It wasn't areas where there was any survivors almost. And therefore, any of the smaller Hasidim completely were erased from the map. And uh, 
this particular branch of of Varka of 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 the great Polish uh, Pshischa called Skernovich was erased. But Itcha Gershtenkarn, who was a Skernovich Chassid, who was the founder of Bnei Brak, was was pretty much a a you know wanted to settle the land, and it was very very. Again, these people did not officially join the Mizrahi. Many of them still affiliated with the Aguda or were officially unaffiliated. Many of them affiliated with the Aguda's uh, um, uh, daughter branch called the Poyale Agudis Yisrael, the workers of Agudis Yisrael, which was even less opposed to Zionism and in certain ways actively supported the Zionist enterprise. And that caused friction between the mother organization of Aguda and the Poyale Agudis Yisrael both in the 1930s and especially in the post-war era, which is something we'll get to later. But, um, but Itzhagashtin Korn was a great example of the Polish Hasidim who, who was in that moderate position, who kind of was doing what the Zionists were doing without actually saying so, without officially affiliating with the Mizrahi. And there were Rebbes who did that. There was a Rebbe called the Admar HaCholutz, the pioneering Rebbe, who was the younger brother of the Piazetsna Rebbe. His name was Rabbi Shaya Shapiro, and his grandson, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, is, lives one neighborhood away from me in Ramat Beit Shemesh, and he officially is the Piazetsna Rebbe today, as a shul called Eish Kaidish, and he's the grandson of the Admor HaCholutz. One of the Kajnitzer Rebbe's moved to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, other uh, branches of Kajnitz, of Majitz, of, 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 uh, of Kuzmir, and the Polish Hasidison had this somewhat supportive position of Zionism also. For the most part, not, the mainstream officially was opposed. And the question is, how much they were opposed? And that's really what we're talking about. The Mizrahi was supportive in their own way, like I said, with their own reservations. Um, but the, and then anyone who is to the right of Mizrahi, we'll call it, for lack of a better term, they 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 can be measured in their degree of opposition. So now we move to Lita, even further north. In Lithuania, the opposition took a very interesting stance. Most great Lithuanian Rabbanim had studied in Valazhin. In Valazhin, the Chibas Tsiyon was active. The Netziv was seen as a supporter of the Chibas Tsiyon. And therefore, there were many great Litvish Rabbanim who openly were part of the Mizrahi. Some of their names I mentioned earlier, also Rebitzak Rubinstein, who was Rav in Vilna, which is a story in itself. What does it mean to be the official Rav in Vilna? And what was Reb Chaim Meiser's uh, position in Vilna if he wasn't the official Rav? And that's a whole controversy in its own right. But in, in Lita, even the ones who were not officially affiliated with the Mizrahi had less of an opposition, and we would call them pretty much Zionists, um, just not affiliated with the Mizrahi. I mean, Ramayshimotcha Epstein, who was the Rosh Hashiva in Slabatka, was very supportive of the Zionist enterprise. He had been one of the first investors, along with his wife's family, the Frank family in Chadera, buying land there. He actually settled there for a short period of time. One of the reasons he pushed for the Slabatki Yeshiva to move to Hebron was because of the pioneering uh, atmosphere that we should move to Eretz Yisrael. The Arsameach, or Meir Simch of Dvinsk, was supportive of, to a certain extent, along with the other great elder uh, 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 um, of, of Litvish Rabbanim, of David Karliner, 
Rabbi Shimon Shkapf had certain leanings towards support of, of the Zionist enterprise. Again, this doesn't mean that they were Zionist and doesn't mean that they were uh, Mizrahi. These are, there are a lot of fine lines here. And a great example of that is the is actually someone from Hungary, or Shagaf Mendelovich, who was pretty much a Zionist part of the Mizrahi without officially ever being affiliated with the Mizrahi. But if we go back to Lita, the Chavetz Chaim, who people like to say that he was part of the Agudas Yisrael, even though he was never officially part of the Agudas Yisrael, and what was the Chavetz Chaim's official position on anything is a story in itself, which I always say when we go to Radin about what the Chavetz Chaim was pure. He was above uh, all this uh, political affiliation, and he was someone who lived for God. He was someone who lived for Avedis Hashem, and therefore he affiliated himself to a certain extent, with pretty much any any program that furthered Avedis Hashem, that furthered Kiddush Hashem, and he lent his name and support to all kinds of movements and institutions without really being part of any one of them. So his son, Reb Leib, the oldest son of Chavetz Chaim, was officially part of the Mizrahi for a period of time. He eventually left um, for his for certain reasons. So you have within the Litvish rabbinic world different levels of support or opposition. I mean, uh, the Panevizhirov, who's a great example of the of a bridge between the pre-war and the post-war, in Panevizh, the atmosphere was very pro-Zionist. The previous Rav was somewhat pro-Zionist, again, like many other Litvisher Abonim of the time. And the, the Panevizhirov also was not actively anti-Zionist, and to a certain extent he carried that over even in the atmosphere of the post-war, which it was more difficult to do so. And he famously had a Zionist flag hanging from from the yeshiva, but he explained that it's not because he's a Zionist, it's because on Independence Day in Lithuania, he had a Lithuanian flag, so why should it be any different over here? So he, he, he somewhat was able to straddle both sides of the, of the rope. Now, one, a famous Litvisha, Rosh Hashiva really, not a Rav, who is a very strong opponent of Zionism that people often quote is Rabbi Chanan Wasserman. And the way he's quoted is that, you know, in, in, in his writings of his, speeches of his, he never kept it a secret, enormous amount of writing and speeches that he spoke about his a very extreme opposition to Zionism. And, um, and it's usually presented as if he were the mainstream, but in the context of the many of the great or most of the great Litvisher Abonim of the time, it would seem that he was more on the extreme side of the spectrum, both of rabbis in Lithuania and within the Agudas Yisrael. To see that the Chartkover Rebbe and the Rebbechon and Vasserman were both in the Aguda is, is like amazing. It's amazing about how the Aguda looked at those days. Rebbechonon and, and the Rebbechayim Zanenfeld take the right flank of the Agura, the Chartkova Rebbe and the Buyana Rebbe take the left flank of the Agura, and the Ger Rebbe and Reb Chaim Brzezinski are somewhere in the middle, a moderate opposition without being an extreme opposition. So within the Agura Yisrael itself, you have this whole spectrum. And of course, the, there are people within Lita who did not join the Zionist, enter, the, excuse me, not the Zionist, didn't join the Agura altogether, the Briskarov, his father, Chaim Brisker, who was one of the founders of the Aguda at Katowice in 1912, by the time he died, he was much more lukewarm and ambivalent about the Aguda Sisro. And there are those that say that it's perhaps because 
that he felt that they were not going to be strong enough against Zionism. There probably were other reasons as well. And the Briskarov, his son, or Belvala, did not join the Aguda. He monitored the Aguda's activities, especially in the post-war era. And I heard this uh, myself from, from Shlomo Lawrence and Menachem Parish, the two uh, politicians who served in the Knesset for Aguda's Yisrael. I spoke to them both about it shortly both before either of them passed away. And uh, they, they used to speak very often to the Briskarov. But even before that, in the 1930s when he was in Brisk, another one who was lived in, who was associated with, with the Litvish area, even though um, they, they were not, they were Hasidish, was Chabad. The Rashab of Chabad was a great opponent of Zionism, and so was his son, the Rayats, the Free Yedikar Rebbe. Um, the last Rebbe changed the position of Chabad and became much more supportive, especially after the state was founded. But a lot of things changed after, changed after the state was founded, which is something we'll speak about next time. So I hope we tried to make some sort of order about which rabbis were against, how much they were against. It could be, that could be, definitely is something to be much more elaborated on. And uh, maybe we'll wrap it up a little bit next time. But really next time I want to move in to the war period, the post-war, the post-trauma of the Holocaust and the founding of the state and how that changed or didn't change many positions of rabbis across the spectrum. So this was Yehuda Geber at Jewish History Soundbites with part three of the Rabbis and the Zionists. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and of course, tours and trips to all the exciting places around the world of Jewish history. And you can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.